All right, welcome to our June 9th, 2006 episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, and also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson, and uh, yes, yes, it's a wonderful afternoon here, but we've got a kind of serious subject we're going to talk about. Tens of thousands of Gulf War I veterans are suffering and dying from what many have labeled Gulf War Syndrome. Though the Department of Defense, uh, the Department of Defense still calls it a mystery illness, many experts believe it is caused by some combination of battlefield exposure to depleted uranium munitions, chemical and biological agents, and experimental vaccines. My special guest today is Joyce Riley. She is a spokesperson for the American Gulf War Veterans Association. And, wow, I'll get by. Talking kind of mushy today. We'll get over that. Yeah, she's a spokesperson for the American Gulf War Veterans Association and producer of the documentary Beyond Treason, the U.S. government's long history of conducting deadly military experiments. This film looks at the horror of past U.S. government programs as well as the ongoing use in Iraq of banned and phenomenally dangerous weapons. The apparent results of these actions are staggering and crying for justice. It's a uh, powerful, grim, disturbing, and heartbreaking film, but I I think that's what happens when you uh, are doing your job in creating a, a piece of work that's exposing some people to some Awful truths. Before we get started with Joyce, I will uh, remind you that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. Joyce, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Robert. It's my pleasure. Yes, as I said, it, it's a really powerful piece of work, and you know, I guess it's it's really disturbing and heartbreaking. But I think that's what happens when we're being confronted with something that that we really maybe don't want to look at. Well, I think when we look at what has been the purpose of the military with respect to the U.S. government over the past 50 years, we're very disappointed. Those of us that served, I, uh, I personally did serve. That was my big goal in life was to be a flight nurse in the Air Force. And I, as since a little, I was a little girl, wanted to be able to take care of patients in the air. And that was my, my calling, my uh, everything. And uh, my father had been in the uh, Army Air Corps. He was a belly gunner on a B-17. My mother had been in the Navy, and they're both in their 80s now. And I kiddingly say that my mother outranked my father, therefore I came from a dysfunctional family. <laughs> and uh, But everything I wanted to do evolved around eventually serving in the Air Force. And I did that, and it was a, a tremendous time. And I say... You know, many times it was like uh, uh, mash in the air. You know, it was an incredible experience of my lifetime. But I became ill as a result of that service. I served uh, only in the Reserve and in the Air National Guard at Schenectady, New York, and uh, Kelly Air Force Base, Texas. And then in 1991, after I had been prepared to deploy to Saudi Arabia, I had had 10 shots in one day. And that changed my life. That experience right there changed my life. I was never again the same after receiving those 10 shots. And I became ill, as many people did. But I had one thing that was a little bit unusual, and that is I did not deploy to the Persian Gulf. So my, it, my uh, reason for being ill was pretty obvious. It was from the vaccines. But that's when I began my research into what has gone on in the military and why would a Department of Defense deny 
that people are sick when you can see all around you your entire unit is sick. And that's when I began this investigation into the Department of Defense and to research all of this. And I'll tell you, it was my most disheartening time to find out that I had been lied to by the Department of Defense, that we were continuing to be lied to by them, and that our, our troops were, in fact, dying, and the DOD was not responding. And that is so sad. And, and, and I owe that all to one document. Now, that's on the CD-ROM of the, uh, of the Beyond Treason documentary that you have. There is a DVD on one side, and on the other side is a, DVD, is a CD-ROM. And if you pull up the face sheet, I don't know if you've looked at the documents or not, but when you pull up the face sheet there on the documents, what you will see is a Senate Report 103-97. Now, that's the one that changed my life. It's under experimentation. Now, that was a document, I have to say, Robert, that was never supposed to be released to the public. There were only 13 copies, to my knowledge, for committee members. It was never supposed to be distributed. And so when I got a copy and saw what it said, I was never the same again, nor could I ever look at the military the same. That document states, and I quote, During the past 50 years, hundreds of thousands of military have been experimented upon without their knowledge or consent. Hundreds of thousands. That changed my whole life. I could never go back and feel the same way about a military again that would violate the Nuremberg Code, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, everything this country holds uh, uh, special and elite, and then have to realize that they were experimenting upon their own military. And I don't know how anybody can go back and still look at the Department of Defense the same way. And I would have to ask anybody listening to this program, if you read that document, and it's right there, you can pull it up, it's on the Internet now, it will absolutely destroy your faith in the fact that they really do remember and care about their men because now we see that they're experimenting upon them and have been for the past 50 years. So you, you had your experience there in uh, the Gulf War era in uh, the early 90s and started looking into this and finding out what was going on there, but then found these documents and found out that this is an ongoing thing that's been going on all this time, that the, the government routinely takes the people in the military and exposes them to things that they really are not sure what the effect is going to be, and uh, actually uh, kind of uses that to, in a way to collect data and for other purposes. Can you talk about some of those earlier programs you, you discovered? Well, when we look at the experiments done in the past 50 years, the vaccines probably are one of the biggest, because whenever you're going to approve or get approved a vaccine, you have to do a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary uh, project uh, for safety purposes. And lo, lo and behold, we did not know that a lot of those primary and secondary t- testings were done on U.S. military. Because the perfect time to do it is when people enter the military at, base, at uh, basic uh, training or at boot camp, because there's not much money invested in them, and oh well, if it goes bad, to, to, you know, no, no expense to the military. And a lot of the vaccines had been tested. Uh, The proprietary pharmaceutical companies have a heavy investment in the U.S. military. So that was probably one of my biggest shocks was to find out that there are probably a number of experimental vaccines that have been tested on the military. We found out that during the 1950s, there were 350,000 people who got hepatitis from a vaccine for yellow fever but they never told the troops. 
And the way I found out about this was in a JAMA article, the Journal of the AMA, uh, in the late 1990s, I found this article. And it had been talking about how many people, how many 350,000 had received hepatitis as a result of a vaccine that was given uh, by the U.S. military. And I was just shocked because I thought, my goodness, there's 350,000 people who had, who had hepatitis, never knew why. All the VA says is, well, uh, come in and we'll see if you have a problem. They never said where they got the problem from. So you have people whose lives have been permanently destroyed as a result of that. Then we found out that the Department of Defense, in a document called uh, Biological Testing by the Department of Defense, this is about 250 pages of evidence that the DOD was, in fact, testing on American citizens as well as the military. They were spraying biological warfare agents, spraying chemical agents. They were uh, doing a number of experiments without the knowledge or consent of civilian and military. Now, in this document, Biological Testing by the Department of Defense, and by the way, we do now have copies of these documents. They are not uh, presently available. You cannot get them anywhere from the government. But they are the older reports out in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s uh, that show that, in fact, it was going on. And the contractors are listed there. Many of the universities in this country were taking monies from the DOD to do this testing. I'll give you an example. One of those was the spraying of biological warfare agents over San Francisco. Now, a lot of people have heard of this, but they really didn't know how bad it was, that there were ships offshore San Francisco spraying uh, a, an agent called Serratia Marcessens over San Francisco to see just how far it would go from the testing, and the document shows that it went 55 miles inland, where people were then monitored to see how many people went to the doctor, how many people were admitted in a hospital, and how many people died as a result of those experiments, and some people did die. Serratia Marcessens, interestingly enough, was not known at that time. Now it is a common biological agent or common uh, bacterial agent that is seen oftentimes in admissions in hospitals and urinary tract infections. And, uh, and, and so that was a shock to see that this had been introduced into the population. Then we had what was called Operation Paperclip that went back to the 40s in which the scientists from the Nuremberg Trials Many scientists never went before the trials in Germany. They were brought to the United States, and they were used as uh, scientists, research scientists for the VA and many of the military bases in the United States. Uh, one of those people went to Brooks Air Force Base, Texas, where there is a library there, and it is referred to as the Aerospace Library. It's the Aerospace Research Library, but it's named after... A, uh, it's named after a German scientist who was a war criminal. Many, many people came into the United States under Operation Paperclip. That was the name of the project to get them in here. And, uh, and, and to think that we participated in the various uh, same experiments, maybe that went on during the time in Germany, and yet, as Bill Clinton said, it, never again will we have those kinds of experiments. And yet, it went on right here in the United States. Randolph Air Force Base, Texas, was a big uh, area for these experiments. So, or Randolph Field, as it was called at mm -hmm. the time. So the U.S. military has been complicit in everything from testing drugs, vaccines, 
radiation, uh, you name it. Um, we had one, ex- one example of um, LSD or uh, hallucinogenic drugs being given to the military, and what happened was there was one gentleman in, from California who actually uh, uh, had never known that he had been involved in one of these experiments, and he had been given a hallucinogenic drug just, you know, in the course of, hey, soldier, come over here, you need to take this and sign this. And they don't know what they're getting. They have no idea. That night he went home and he nearly killed his wife. Now, as I understand it, he had a wife and child at that time. She had never seen him like that. And, of course, the military explained it as, oh, well, you know, people in the military just go crazy sometimes. And Mm -hmm. she left him. It destroyed his life forever. And then 25 years later, he gets a letter in the mail, and it says a notice for all of those experimented upon with, and they mentioned the drug, and he thought, what? I was experimented upon, and that was the night that changed his life. He realized at that point what had gone on. He probably thought he was temporarily uh, insane, being under the effect of this hallucinogen that he didn't even know they were giving him. Exactly. And how many people, just think of how many murders you've seen lately on the news where it's a military person involved. If you follow the Army Times or the Air Force Times, you will be amazed at the numbers of murders, uh, homicides and suicides, as well as child abuses taking place. And we know for a fact that Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or better known as DARPA, is now doing a project called the Super Soldier Project. And people are being medicated. Troops are being medicated. I'm not saying all of them, but many in special forces are being medicated. They're being medicated to become more aggressive. Boy, that's the last thing we need sometimes in a war. <laughs> and, and they're be- medicated to become more aggressive. And you wonder, what were the people on at Haditha? What were some of these people on that have, have perpetrated these heinous crimes in the military? Mm-hmm. Or, like many of the troops are telling us, they were told to do random killings. Yeah. So we don't know. It, but, yeah, it, it's it's like I said, it, it's it's heartbreaking to see some of these things that are going on and the way these people are being used as as human guinea pigs or being ordered to to commit horrendous acts and and maybe not being aware that it's uh, actually that they have the right to disobey an order if it's something illegal. Uh, now I'm speaking with uh, Joyce Riley and we're talking about her documentary Beyond Treason: The U.S. Government's Long History of Conducting Deadly Military Experiments. Joyce, before we get going any further, I know uh, you're also um, the uh, with the uh, Iraq uh, War Veterans the, or the Gulf War Veterans Association. Correct. Yes, the American Gulf War Veterans Association uh, spokesperson for them, and so I know you you have a great deal of concern for the veterans, and so I want to put this out right now for any veterans that are possibly listening. Uh, anything that you can give out contact information if they feel that they've been uh, victimized in, in any way. Well, let me tell you that we will give a copy at no charge of Beyond Treason. And a lot of these experiments that we're talking about here are on there, as well as uh, many more. And we'll get to some of those. But if you are a former prior service and if you would like to get a copy of Beyond Treason, it's no charge to you. Just go to beyondtreason.com, or if you're not on the Internet, um, just send us some proof of service. I don't care what it is. It just, you know, the name off of your VFW magazine. I don't care what it is. Just send us some proof of service. Otherwise, we'd have 10,000 of these going out to people who want free videos. <laughs> and uh, please just uh, fax it to us. 
And I'll give a fax number, 573-378-5998. That's 573-378-5998, or go to beyondtreason.com, and we'll send you a copy of it at no charge, because like I said, we have 10000 to give away to, to uh, former military, present military, or people who are getting ready to join the military. And if you have a son or daughter getting ready to join the military, I would send them down and make one requirement, and that is you need to watch this. And if you still want to join the military afterwards, be my guest. But at least watch this first and know what you're getting into. And um, I, I just, I, or let me give a website. Now, this website is for veterans, and a lot of veterans that are, have returned that are very upset about what happened during the war are on this bulletin board. This is one of the biggest military bulletin boards. And you don't have to sign in to read the the um, uh, the postings. And it's Gulf War Vets V E T S dot com. Gulf War Vets dot com. And there's a lot of support there for you on that website, explaining not only what happened during the first Gulf War, but what is happening to our troops in the second Gulf War. All right, great. Well, we'll give that out one more time before the show's up because I, I just think it's so important. Uh, I it it's these veterans who. Most of them, I think, join with the best of intentions and are, are wanting to serve their country and uh, then feel betrayed and are suffering with horrible illnesses often, and they don't know where to turn. So I, this is great that we can give them uh, some resources. So uh, we'll do that again before the show's up. So, uh, Joyce, you said when you were—let's get back to the history. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I also want to— Talk a little bit more about the Gulf War of the early 90s, and, and you were in the military at that time, and you got all these vaccines, and it made you sick, and you started doing research. And when did you become aware that many other people were getting sick and that uh, it sort of trickled out in the mainstream media that we were hearing about a thing called Gulf War syndrome, and it was kind of thought almost to be like not real, urban legend kind of thing like that. But when did you become aware that there were many people suffering with things like this? In 91, which was about the time I got out, December of 91, because I was too sick to function within the military, and I had to notify my Colonel Mountain, Colonel, her name was Colonel Mountain at uh, Kelly Air Force Base, that I could no longer function. There were a lot of other nurses that were experiencing the same thing. We had what was, had never been heard of to, before that time, which was chronic fatigue. Now, you look back and you see that chronic fatigue came out at about 91, 92 time frame. And uh, most people had never heard about chronic fatigue prior to that time. We had this overwhelming fatigue. And then I started having what's called a demyelinating illness which is much like multiple sclerosis. I was hospitalized by December of 91, unable to, to walk at times and, and having all kinds of problems. And I had six spots of demyelination on my brain and spinal cord. Well, I thought I was the only one, which is what a lot of people did in 91. 92 and 93, I was just fighting to stay well. And I realized that when the Veterans Administration said, hey, you were not active duty military, so therefore you cannot go to the VA. And I thought, what? You're always told in the military that if you have a problem, go to the uh, Veterans Administration Hospital. Not so. If you are not considered um, uh, combat-related or um, service-connected illness, you cannot get treatment at a VA hospital. So most of the people were not going to the VA. Most of the people were not getting any help. And I found out there was nothing in mainstream medicine that could help you because the Department of Defense was telling everybody, like you said, 
oh, gee, this is an imaginary disease. Nobody's really sick. So when I saw this being said about people like myself, who I'd never been sick before that, I'd flown around, like I said, in a C-130 playing MASH in the air and never had any problems, and my real job in real life was that I was a heart-lung, kidney, liver transplant nurse, heart-lung, liver, uh, kidney transplant nurse, which is a very respectable, very high-tech job, and uh, I loved what I did in uh, being a transplant nurse in Houston, Texas. But and, and I'd also been a director of nursing of four institutions. I'd lectured at NIH. I had been a captain in the Air Force. And so for them to all of a sudden say, oh, you're, you all are just have mental problems, well, as you can imagine, I fully resented that. Mm-hmm. I knew that six spots of demyelination on your brain and spinal cord is more than just you had a bad day or you're trying to imagine that you're sick. So I went on the air in about 94, 95. I tried to get talk show hosts to let me come on the air and talk about it in which I did. I went on the air, I believe it was first in Iowa, and the talk show host brought me on to make fun of me, to say, see, this is a make-believe illness. Here is a crazy woman. And this is a a well-known talk show host uh, on, uh, I believe, um, a major station up in Iowa who put me on the air. Well, lo and behold, I said, well, let's see if there's other people out there that have this problem. He opened up the phone lines, and it was absolutely jammed. And I could see, because I was in studio, you know, on the computer there, each call, what it was about. My son is dying of Gulf War illness. I'm dying of Gulf War illness. You know, I could see all the phone calls. The man apologized to me mid-program, and I still have a copy of this tape, and he said, I apologize to you. He said, I had no idea. And I think that there are talking points that are given to a lot of talk show hosts to bring you on and try to make you, and try and belittle the person that comes on. Mm-hmm. And I had that happen to me by a number of the well-known talk show hosts. I think the last one to do that was uh, Michael Reagan, unfortunately. And uh, after I had been on his show about 20 times, and then uh, they had a, a shill call up and say, well, there, this major says there's no Gulf War illness. This woman is crazy. Um, you know, all these try to discount me. And then Michael Reagan said, goodbye, Joyce. And wow. that was the end of that being on his program. But you see, there's a lot of political issues involved in this with the Department of Defense. So talk show hosts were not very kind, but the, the um, Gulf War veterans started coming out of the woodwork, and I started hearing from people that were highway patrolmen. One guy had been a highway patrolman for 29 years. He had been in, in Iraq, come back, and he was deathly ill, begging for help, and he says the military won't give me the time of day. And so what the military would do was put them on psychotropic drugs. That's all they would do. If you went into a VA hospital and you had a legitimate complaint, such as, well, let's say you had um, seizures. Let's say you had bleeding from the rectum. Let's say you had something that could really was an objective finding. The, the, the VA would rule that a mental problem. They would say it's due to stress. This PTSD issue is so overused. It is so overbroad now that it's used as a scapegoat so that nobody knows that these people are really sick and they're really dying. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is go back and look at uh, the atomic veterans. Those are veterans that they made stand and watch at Bikini Atoll at uh, a number of the uh, atomic um, uh, weapon testing sites and never, ever were told what they were really going to be experiencing later on. 300 and some, I think 20,000, 323,000 of these men were forced to stand and watch an atomic bomb go off 
And then uh, later on, all they did was just take a broom and brush them off and tell them everything will be fine. Yeah, you've got that in the documentary, and, and it's and it's if it wasn't so tragic, it, it would be comical to see them brushing the, the, these soldiers off with these brooms, and that's going to get rid of any radioactive exposure. And, and so the the Gulf War illness, you mentioned that you were given all of these vaccines and that that seemed to be the trigger for you. But there are also the uh, the exposures to depleted uranium and the exposures to uh, chemical and biological weapons that were uh, exploded in the vicinity of soldiers. Can can you get into some of those other causes? And yeah, and um we don't it doesn't seem to be any one thing some person it could be an exposure to one of those things and some people it's another one and and some it's exposure to all of those correct that's correct you see it's a layered approach uh so it's layered in the sense that there were a number of environmental exposures and the problem is that those people that were in the forward areas of iraq uh the the uh uh the big red one out of kansas the uh uh, 18th Airborne Corps, some of the 101st Airborne, 82nd Airborne, those people are absolutely the sickest. In fact, I talked to one uh, senior master sergeant who told me that he had been to 90-some funerals uh, from the uh, uh, 82nd Airborne from his unit, and it is just so sad to think that these people have silently died away while everybody's wearing these uh, uh, support the veterans yellow magnetic made-in-China ribbons on their mm-hmm, car, mm-hmm. and yet their veterans are slipping away. But let's talk about what the exposures were. First of all, and most severely, probably there were chemicals and biologicals. Then on top of that was the vaccine issue, then depleted uranium, the oil well fires, and things like leishmaniasis, which is a parasite they got from the Middle East. But I want to address chemicals and biologicals because the U.S. government said uh, unequivocally that there was no evidence. Now, we've gotten used to this term. There's no significant evidence to prove that biologicals or chemicals were used. Well, that was an absolute flat-out lie because the U.S. government, between 1984 and 1989, began to sell biologicals to Iraq, began to sell chemicals to Iraq. Now, as soon as um, Saddam became our friend, which, as you know, they were a terrorist nation prior to that time. Mm-hmm. And in uh, 83, when uh, Donald Rumsfeld went to Iraq to meet with Saddam Hussein, he did not just meet with Saddam Hussein. According to his envoy, he met with every other friendly nation in the Middle East to us. And Don Rumsfeld at that time was not an envoy from the Reagan administration that they would like you to believe. He was, in fact the president and CEO of G.D. Cyril Pharmaceutical Company. And, of course, his job, one of his jobs was to push through aspartame, which we now know is a neurotoxin, and his other job was to sell biologicals and chemicals and get them started in that transfer to Iraq, which he opened the door to that. So Don Rumsfeld goes to Iraq in 83. In 84, we begin the sale of biologicals to Iraq. Now, if you go to the documentation on the Beyond Treason website, there are, uh, under the heading of the Persian Gulf Wars, there are all kinds of documents. In fact, there's half the size of an encyclopedia of documents there showing the transfer of biologicals to Iraq. And there you will find the actual um, uh, batch numbers, the dates of the transfer, where they were transferred to in Iraq. And it is pretty sad to see this, I have to tell you, because this transfer of biologicals and chemicals to Iraq, which included anthrax, clostridium botulinum, and West Nile fever virus. 
Now, everybody's heard of West Nile fever now, mm-hmm. but they had never heard of it before that time, Robert, because West Nile fever was never heard of until the late 90s in the United States. The United States knowingly, and I say knowingly, sold Iraq all these items I just told you about, including the anthrax. Some 80 shipments of this went to Iraq. And yet, when I debated the Assistant Secretary of Defense on the air one day, he tried to uh, minimize it and say, now, Ms. Riley, you know that uh, we use biologicals for, you know that people use them for research purposes. And he tried to minimize it by saying that, and I said, no, sir, not when they are not attenuated or weakened, and they're capable of reproduction, and they're sold in 55-gallon drums. That is for biological and chemical offensive weapons use. And uh, he got caught in that statement, and I mean to tell you that uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick, and he, I mean, they have looked so badly ever since from veterans because they got caught in their lie by somebody who knew what they were doing. Now, the U.S. government knowingly, with the Department of Commerce and the CDC's approval, sold these biological and chemical agents to Iraq. Now, how can we ever trust a Department of Defense or a government that would violate all these international treaties which say it is illegal to sell biologicals or chemicals, it is illegal to stockpile them, and here we go selling them to a guy who was a terrorist just a few months before that time. And a lot of people say, oh, that couldn't happen, it didn't, well, I don't care what people want to say, all the evidence is on beyond treason. And by the way, I forgot to give the phone number, if anybody wants to purchase it, um, and we do appreciate it if they would. It's 877-GULF-VET. 877-GULF-VET is how you purchase it. But these biologicals and chemicals went to Iraq, and then they had to have, of course, the munitions to be able to deploy them. So we sold them those also. Mm-hmm. There was an operation called Nimble Archer in the late 80s, Operation Nimble Archer. Now, this is the operation where our special forces, and you haven't heard about this because it was highly, uh, well, it's been kept under wraps all this time, but we've talked to some of the troops that were involved in it. Operation Nimble Archer was the training and teaching of the Iraqi army and, and military to use these agents. Operation Nimble Archer, you can see what that means just from the, uh, the visualization of that. So... Bell helicopter. We sold Bell helicopters. We showed the Iraqi military how to aim those nodules, which killed those people at Halabja, which is one reason why Saddam's war crimes, remember, they go back to 84. Right. Because after 84, the U.S. government was involved in doing a lot of those crimes with them. They were, we were basically holding their hand as he went and killed his own people. So, uh, right, so if Saddam Hussein is guilty, which he, he does seem to be, those involved, those who helped him, are also guilty, and it points right back to our own government here. And so this is why we're going to have these shenanigans with the uh, trial or, or of Saddam Hussein or him not being tried for certain parts, uh, things that he did. That's Let, right. Let's talk about the the bunker, the, what, what was the name of the bunker complex where all of these things were stored and then they were were blown up. Yeah, that was called Chemisea. Before we move on to Chemisea, let me just say one other thing. West Nile fever virus, which we sold to Iraq, was never seen in the U.S. It was seen later in Israel, and then the same strain that had been sold to Iraq was found in Israel, 
and the same strain was found in the U.S. later on after that. So we have basically messed in our own nest with those chemicals and biologicals. Now, the bunker complex you're referring to was called Camasia. Camasia was 100 warehouses uh, and 50 bunkers, each the size of a super Walmart. So we're talking about acres and acres and miles and miles of these bunker complexes. Now, we got our information from the individual Sergeant Dan Topolsky, who is the NBC NCO of the 32nd Engineer Battalion, who was tasked with the job of going and detonating that bunker complex. The bunker complex was where Saddam kept all those weapons that had been sold to him. And I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying there were about uh, a total, I think, of about 30 major bunker complexes in Iraq, and this was one of the biggest, to my understanding. So these weapons were stored in there, and after the war, Sergeant Topolsky and some of the people from the 82nd Airborne and a number of other units were tasked with the job of going and detonating all of these bunker complexes or the weapons and munitions inside of them. And we actually have, as you saw, it's very grainy, but it is footage from those gentlemen that were over there in the Middle East at the time that did that job. Now, as they went into each of those bunkers, they filmed the, the weapons inside there, and you can see that there were uh, weapons from the U.S., from the U.K., from Russia, from Jordan, and they were all placed in there, and they were with markings that showed that they were biologicals and chemicals. Now, to, to detonate something like that, anybody who is involved in the NBC units or the nuclear, biological, and chemical units knows that, whoa, you don't touch that stuff. Well, they contacted General Schwarzkopf uh, at, uh, at, at, at CENTCOM, and the message came down from General Schwarzkopf after they told him. They said, sir, there are biologicals and chemicals in that bunker. The colonel, uh, lieutenant colonel had contacted them. The response that came down was, blow it anyway. These troops, as, uh, as Colin Powell said on his testimony, by the way, Schwarzkopf and Powell were the only two that did not have to take the oath to testify when they testified before the Senate Affairs Committee, Veterans Affairs Committee, stated that there is no place that you will ever see where these troops served that they didn't have biological and chemical protection on, which is an absolute flat-out lie. Because when we show you this, you can see that there were people in short sleeve shirts there when the detonation was done. So these people are very, very ill, very sick as a result of this. And the Department of Defense did send out a memo stating that it's possible. You know how they always afterwards say, we don't know for sure, but mm -hmm. it may be possible there's 100,000 sick people. Well, there's more than 100,000 sick, but even those 100,000 have not gotten any care, any treatment, and many of them not, have not received any compensation. But here's the interesting thing, Robert. We fought a 100-hour war during the Gulf War. There were about 170-some deaths during that time. So half of those were friendly fire. So let's say there were safely maybe 70 deaths that occurred. The rest were friendly fire. Since that time, and there were a total of 697,000 that served during that time, we now have, according to the Department of Defense Disability Statistics, 225,000 people that are permanently disabled from that war. That, that's a staggering statistic. It uh, is. It bears repeating. 225,000 are permanently disabled from the first Gulf War in which only 70 died 
other than those that were friendly fire, and 140 total, something like that, died. So we have 225,000 that are permanently disabled, and to make matters even worse, we have another 225,000, or about another 200,000, that have either died or refused compensation because they put down Gulf War illness on their form, they got turned down immediately. Because according to the Department of Defense, there is no Gulf War illness, therefore you cannot be compensated by the VA for something that does not exist. So out of the 697,000 that served, we now have about 450 to 500,000 Gulf War veterans that are now permanently disabled or have died. It, it, it seems just absolutely uh, criminal, or as the title of your documentary says, Beyond Treason. I'm speaking with Joyce Riley, and that she is the producer of this uh, film, Beyond Treason, the U.S. government's long history of conducting deadly military experiments. You're listening to Out the Rabbit Hole on KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson. And I'll remind you again that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And uh, if someone wants to purchase a copy of the DVD, Joyce, what was that number again? 877-GULF-VET, 877-GULF-VET, or you can go to beyondtreason.com. And if you're a vet, if you are uh, prior service, if you're serving now, or if your child is getting ready to serve in the military, contact us, fax us some kind of uh, information, and we will send you a copy at no charge. Okay, great. It, and did I understand correctly that there was uh, a false cover story about the reason for the, the uh, ceasefire at this one point in the Gulf War, that, that the real reason was because the soldiers were becoming so ill? Uh, that I do not know. No, I don't know of anything about that. Okay, I, I thought so. But this place at Camasilla where they blew up the, the, these bunkers of these weapons, tons of this, biological and chemical weapons were exploded, and all of this went into the atmosphere, and there were how many military personnel in close proximity to that? Well, there were about 100,000 that were in close proximity to where those uh, bunkers were detonated. But, of course, all it has to do is go through the air. Now, the half-life of some of those chemical agents is not very long. but uh, it, and, and, of course, they kept saying that it was such low-dose exposure that it would not have affected them. Well, it did, and their brains have been affected. There have been some studies done at the University of Texas, uh, by a physician down there who has now shown, according to some PET scans of the brain, that there are certain areas of the brain, or one area of the brain, that is affected by those vets. In other words, that are having a lot of neurological problems, as the sarin gas created those problems. Now, on the DVD, or on the uh, CD-ROM, there is a section called, oh, um, uh, let's see, 300 Missing Gulf Link Files. Now, those you cannot find anywhere else, so treasure this CD-ROM because those are going to be disappearing. Now, those are biological and chemical, uh, evidence of biological and chemical usage um, by, uh, during the war in Iraq, and those are memos coming from the Joint Chiefs of Staff's office, uh, Colin Powell. Very, very important documents there. So just know that these documents, are you're unable to get most of them. Uh, some of them can be obtained on the, on the uh, website uh, websites, but most of them cannot. And we put them on there because we did not want the Department of Defense to be able to discount this and say, oh, it's just a bunch of disgruntled, you know, burnout, leftover hippies from the 60s or something that have a bad attitude, or it's a 
political issue or whatever. And I just want to put out front that, though I'm not proud of saying this, I have voted for George Bush when he was governor of Texas. Um, I was a Republican. I was Air National Guard at the same time of George Bush. Uh, when he was deserting, I was still serving, as m- most of the you know people were. I mean, he was he was, and in my estimation, um, uh, is a deserter because I happen to have his military records. I've got a copy of them. And so we start to look at things that have taken place here that just don't make any sense by the average military person. And we say, wait a minute, you know, when is this going to stop? And how has this happened? How have we allowed this to go on? Now, either I am crazy, Robert, either I am lying, or the Department of Defense is lying. Now, one of us is not telling the truth. And I say this oftentimes because if I'm lying, then prove me wrong. No one has come forward and disproven anything that appears in Beyond Treason. So when you look at this, when you get your video and you look at this, ask yourself the question, if she is not lying and the whole entire Department of Defense has been behind this, where do we go and why are we sending our sons and daughters to serve in an army and a military that has done this to its people? Yeah, you make an excellent point there. One of the things we haven't gotten into yet is the, uh, we talked about the chemical and biological weapons and the vaccines that y'all were being exposed to. We haven't so much talked about the depleted uranium weapons, or DU, as they're called. And I think this is really important because they're being used at this moment in, in Iraq, and is, this is an ongoing thing. And so whatever problems that caused back in Gulf War One. Uh, and in the war in Europe, in, the, in Eastern Europe in the 90s, it is continuing now, and we're going to have more problems. So could you tell us a little bit, of, for the benefit of listeners who don't even know what DU is, what that is, why they're using it, and what the effects seem to be? Okay, the depleted uranium is what is used in the byproduct of uh, the nuclear weapons industry or the nuclear power industry. And uranium, depleted uranium, is a public relations term to make you think that it's depleted, it's not radioactive, and no big deal. That is not true at all. Depleted uranium is not depleted. It is radioactive. We are fighting a nuclear war. We are using weapons of mass destruction in Iraq today. It was used in Bosnia, Afghanistan, Yugoslavia. We have, we have placed so many tons of radiation into the desert and into the Muslim countries, Islamic countries. It is just incredible to think about how damaging this stuff is. Because to anybody who's not familiar with it, I'll give you a couple of websites. You can go to umrc.net. That stands for Uranium Medical Research Center.net, umrc.net, or Trap Rock Peace, P-E-A-C-E, that's T-R-A-P-R-O-C-K, P-E-A-C-E dot org. These are really good websites for some background on DU. Depleted uranium is what is used in everything from a 30 caliber shell all the way up to the 500-pound bunker buster bombs that were just dropped in Iraq yesterday, uh, where allegedly this gentleman was killed. I mean, I don't know it to be true, but they have lied about so many things. I don't know what to believe from the Department of Defense anymore. I mean, if they have to lie about whether or not Jessica Lynch has amnesia or they have to lie about how Pat Tillman died, I don't know what they're telling us, what what they're saying is the truth or not. Right. But 
the 30 millimeter shells, let me give you an example. There's a uranium rod in these shells. And when the shell hits its target, it becomes pyrophoric. It catches on fire. It goes at a very high velocity, and it's very dense. It goes through a tank like butter. They're t- called uh, tank-busting uh, shells. And so when an A-10 aircraft, for instance, the Warthog aircraft, fires this shell, and by the way, it fires 4,000 rounds per minute out of that Gatling gun, 4,000 rounds per minute going into the desert over there, it's radiated, they're radiated weapons. Now, you saw the lieutenant colonel in the picture that was holding that shell, and he says, this is not a big problem, it's fine as long as it's intact. It's when it explodes that it becomes a problem. Oh, no, sir. That lieutenant colonel was being irradiated, and by the way, he was a pilot of an A-10 aircraft at Whiteman Air Force Base, and they did not know why this video was being used that they were preparing, because we had a cameraman shooting this, and I'll tell you what, the cameraman stood way back from that 30-millimeter shell. Yeah. But that is full of depleted uranium. Now, uh, M1A1 main battle tank will have a 120-millimeter shell, depleted uranium rod or uranium rod inside of it. And when it hits its target, catches on fire, little tiny particles, about 0.2 millimeters, the size of a virus, break off of that. They go into the sand, they go into the food, they go into the water, they go into the guys that go in that tank afterwards to go and inspect it. So all these people that go sightseeing either go sightseeing to get, you know, they get souvenirs from a war, mm-hmm. or they go into the tank to see if there's been any damage, uh, to see if they're still alive inside the tank. Whatever reason, they go and inspect it. They are breathing in a lot of those particles in the air because they're all stirred up. They're all over the place. Well... Everything from the 30-millimeter shell, like I said, up to the bunker buster bombs contain depleted uranium or contain radiation. So we have put thousands of pounds of radiation into that desert. The problem is the half-life of depleted uranium is 4.5 billion years. So we're talking about damage to generations of people. Thus, we have so many cases of brain tumors, of deformities, of leukemias, of cancers among the military people coming back, and the Iraqi civilians. What we have done to these people is unconscionable. I don't know where the green people are. I don't know where all of the environmentalists are on this. But we are using a radiated form of weaponry. We are using a weapon of mass destruction over there, and it is a war crime. There is no question about it. The U.S., the U.K., and Australia are the primary users of this, and they've even gone so far as to wrapping the tanks, the M1A1 main battle tank and the Bradley fighting vehicle, wrapping them in depleted uranium to protect our troops from being hit, which is a great thing to do, but unfortunately... They sit on areas that contain depleted uranium, high levels of, of radiation, of uh, rectal cancer, and also the areas of their brains that are affected by this. So we've had numerous deaths from the second Gulf War, from Afghanistan, enduring freedom and Iraqi freedom, incredible numbers of phone calls that we're getting now of people that are sick, and when they go to the VA, the thing they get is the same that they got from the first Gulf War. Well, We see no problem here. You have an emotional problem or PTSD. They put them on psychotropic drugs, 
they go home, they commit suicide, they commit homicides, they commit crimes, because these drugs affect the way they think and feel. And as a result of that, I cannot tell you the number of parents that I have talked to who didn't listen to their kids, who their sons and daughters said there was something wrong with them because they look good on the outside, they don't realize that on the inside they're falling apart, and they tell them the DOD says there's nothing wrong with you, you know, suck it up, be a man, go get a job. And they end up committing suicide. And you've also got something in there that there's reports of exploding hearts of the offspring of these veterans? That's right. In fact, um, they, at uh, Brook Air Force, uh, Brooks Air Force Base, the Army base in um, Houston, Fort Sam Houston, they actually got to, to calling it the exploding heart syndrome. They didn't know why, but these hearts would just literally explode in the chest. Now, whether that is an infection, whether that is hypertrophy from some uh, or swelling from some uh, unknown reason, but we would have these unbelievably high heart rates. If you were to see the number of troops that have had to have pacemakers that were 18 to 20 years old after they came back from the first Gulf War, you would be amazed. I mean, there was like this epidemic of heart failure and of heart problems where they'd have a heart rate of 180 and then it would drop down all of a sudden to maybe 60 or 40. And, of course, you know, they pass out. They end up going to the VA, and the VA says, gee, we can't figure it out. Then they end up having what's called the exploding heart syndrome. Now, those were the people that were the sickest after the first Gulf War. And I have to say that they, I, I, I've personally been with some of those troops, but their demise was fairly early after the first Gulf War. Now we have the people that are lingering on with uh, autoimmune diseases that received the vaccines, uh, which coupled with some of the other problems now, cause them problems that don't necessarily take their lives, but they just are not able to make a living. They're not able to go to work every day. I talked to one uh, uh, Navy guy up in Washington, and it just breaks my heart all the time. He has horrendous problems. He's all alone. Nobody cares about him. His wife left him. Everybody thought he was just... He was just a malingerer, and he was one of the brightest people I think that the Navy ever saw. And uh, they've cast him aside. No compensation, no help, no nothing. And yet people think that if I talk and if I say this, I'm being unpatriotic. What about the people that have created the war crimes, caused these people to lose their health, have deformed children, which at, uh, at Fort Bragg, at... Um, Oh, I can't think of the name of the hospital now. Uh, at Fort Bragg, they had these unbelievable numbers of deformities, children born with no arms, no legs, and that kind of thing that we're seeing even worse now in this second Iraq war. Oh, yeah, and, and the images of the the Iraqi babies, it's just, it's absolutely horrifying. And, and this is, its I can only assume it's going to get worse because the DU weapons are, are continuing to be used. Uh, we're speaking with Joyce Riley. Uh, she is um, a, a spokesperson for the American Gulf War Veterans Association and the producer of the documentary Beyond Treason, the U.S. government's long history of conducting deadly military experiments. Joyce, we're going to have to wrap up here. We've got just a few minutes left. So uh, real quick, we'll give out some contact information. But uh, quickly before we do that, are, is there anybody in uh, Congress who's doing anything about this? No. 
Absolutely not. There not a- have been some. There was one representative, and I'm going to leave him nameless at this point, but he contacted me, and there, his, uh, his aide contacted me and said, the representative knows that you're telling the truth, but don't expect him to support you publicly. And I said, I don't care if he supports me publicly, but I'm just concerned why. And he said, I will tell you, he is not going to run for re-election next time, and this is much worse than you even know that it is. And he said to tell you that if the American public knew just how bad it is, it would bring down this government as we know it. And I said, but nobody wants to do that because we are the government. The people are the government. Mm -hmm. And he said, Joyce, you have no idea how bad it is. And I didn't at the time, but I do now. But um, I don't know. There is no U.S. representative or senator that will even touch this. Now, there are a few that act like they are. But when it push comes to shove, they're not doing anything. I mean, if you have two-thirds of your military sick from the first Gulf War, don't you think that would uh, get the attention of somebody? And I think the uh, gentleman from Texas uh, was the closest person to have done anything. He died of a brain tumor. I can't think of his name, the the Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. He was an incredible man who was pursuing this. He died shortly after with a brain tumor, though. But um, nobody is doing anything. But, you know... Put the pressure on your congressperson. The story is real. Now, in San Diego, there is one, um, oh, I wish I could think of his name right now, and he has been very, very supportive of the veterans, and I think probably more so than anybody else, uh, but very few. Duncan Hunter is not. N- most of the people are not uh, in California at all. I've talked with many of their offices, and they just blow you off and say, uh, we'll look into it. But contact information, if you're a vet, if you want a free copy of this, uh, fax it to 573-378-5998, 573-378-5998. Go to beyondtreason.com or to purchase one. It's 1995. That's for the CD-ROM and the documentary. That helps us to give away more to the vets. That is 877-GULF-VET, 877-GULF-VET. And we appreci- appreciate your purchasing it, and it will help us to be able to make more of these available to the troops that really deserve to see why they're sick. Okay, and there was there was even more that you and I could have gotten into here about the history of this. We we talked about a couple of the programs, and we didn't. There's much more there that is. If you're just even interested in history, it's something that you need to know about these government programs. It's all documented in the the experimenting, the dosing people with. Uh, hallucinogens, and we didn't even get into the one that the movie Jacob's Ladder was uh, sort of mm-hmm. based on. Uh, so I just want to throw that out there. If you, the, Those kinds of things are included. And it's Beyond Treason, the U.S. government's long history of conducting deadly military experiments. Joyce Riley, producer there. Thank you so much for being with us, Joyce. Thank you, Robert. We salute you for telling the truth to our vets. Thank you so much. And likewise. And uh, take care. I'll talk to you again, okay? You bet. All right. That was Joyce Riley, and I also will uh, let you know what we forgot to mention, that she has her own uh, radio show, which is called uh, Power Hour, and uh, that's uh, 7 to 10 a.m. Monday through Friday. I think that's uh, Central Time, but anyways, you know, just do a Google on Power Hour, and you can find her, where she talks about this and much more on that program, so uh, I wanted to put that out there as well. We're just about out of time here on Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. My guest next week will be Robin Morgan. We're going to be discussing her book called The Burning Time. And this is a uh, a novel, a, a historical novel, about the Inquisition coming to Ireland. And I thought it was appropriate to... Uh, 
with a lot of the religious extremism we're having to deal with these days to kind of look at a, a historical novel that touched on that uh, most awful time of religious extremism, the Inquisition, and how that relates to you know some of these things are going on now. So that's uh, Robin Morgan, The Burning Time. We'll be talking with her about that uh, next week. And uh, again, uh, this what we were talking about today. I, I just I want to just give give this more mention because it's so important. Beyond treason, the U.S. government's long history of conducting deadly military experiments. So you can uh, go to beyondtreason.com and find out more about that.